All right, welcome to the Praxis Behind the Obscure podcast. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, I believe that this is the first time I've had a guest that's pretty much uh, on by popular demand. And so generally, like a lot of guests I have on, I read their books or, you know, I've like been into their work for a long time. But this is somebody that comes up a lot in conversation. And um, what's unique is people are always raving about her courses and uh, the website, which is 22teachings.com. And I'm sure we'll get into that um, a lot during the discussion. But can you uh, give the listeners a brief introduction and a little bit about your background, like how you got into esoteric studies and practices? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Naha and uh, I, wow, I guess my reputation precedes me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really shocked to hear you say that. So that's... Um, that's a nice compliment. I'm glad that uh, that your listeners are are even aware of what I'm doing in my little corner of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. So I guess how did I get started in the in the esoteric things? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I it it really. I mean, everything's like a matter of timing, you know, and it's. We have a we have a motto in the lodge, and um, and our motto is Kairos Kai Synchronia, mm-hmm. and it's funny to have a motto that um, doesn't necessarily have a very specifically clear translation, <laughs> but the translation is but and I and I try to explain it, but the idea of Kairos, divine mm-hmm. timing or opportunity, mm-hmm. and Synchronia uh, with the concept of being a group and harmonizing, synchronizing with that, and not only with the the people involved, but also with the current, the magical current that we're looking to tap into. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the Kairos Kai Synchronia is like the concept of kind of being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, kind of like the story of everything. I mean, it begins for me, uh, I'm from LA originally, but my parents moved when I was only five, my parents moved up to Seattle, a little suburb outside of Seattle. And um, I was born in 1975, which means it was right in, you know, I grew up in the Mm eighties and that means that in the nineties, in the early nineties is when I was in high school. And if there was a place to be, in the 90s at that time it was to be in seattle if you were interested in anything on the fringe and the alternative you know that was like the the heart of of music at the time yeah, it's like the heart of culture really i feel like right in the early 90s it was sort of like the heart of you know the booming rock culture and everything really huh yeah totally and like it's funny because <laughs> the whole the whole idea um, like the, or the whole philosophy, I guess, if you will, is to be sort of, I mean, the music's called grunge. It's like sort of to be like begrudgingly into <laughs> things, you know? So it's not right. like, it's not like there's a sense in the moment of, of like pride about it, you know? Mm, right. But right, then right. it's all like retroactively, it's looking back and like, God, I'm so grateful that I was able to be there. Like, this is a time when, you know, laws were more lax and there was a lot of all ages clubs. So you could actually get into things like even now, mm-hmm. if there was amazing music scene, you wouldn't be mm-hmm. able to to know or like see anything as a as like a high schooler, you know. 
Right. Um, right. You have to be like 21. So anyways, it was just like this, this really, really cool time and place to be, uh, to be growing up. And, and it just aligned with everything that I was, um, that I was into, which was whatever it was that was not mainstream, mm-hmm. you know, I guess like, you know, a lot of teenagers are, but I really, you know, I was thinking a little even further back and, you know, growing up, um, my, like my dad was gone all the time. He worked, he, he was a traveling salesman still is to this day, actually. So he was always mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I wasn't really that close with my mom, my sisters, like, uh, we have a pretty big, big age gap. Mm-hmm. And then the schools I was going to, I was in this program where I was changing schools every couple of years. So I didn't even have a friend group that like stuck with me all through, you know, my, my school years. So right. it, it, I just kind of developed this really strong independent streak. And, and, uh, and so put that together, kind of my sort of like um, adapted lone wolf mentality with the ability to be involved in things that were really underground, whether it be, um, you know, music or uh, skateboarding or whatever Mm -hmm. it was at that time. And uh, there was a, there was this little magic store down on the, um, on the waterfront. People that are familiar with Seattle will know there's a place, it's the Pike Place Market and it's like the old waterfront market. Mm -hmm. And uh, down in the very basement of it, there's a a magic store. It's like you know um, stage magic, and oh. they had a and they had a. Uh, I used to always like to go there. You know, like when we'd go into the city, we'd go to the market, and then I'd go all the way down. You have to literally go down like three levels, and it's all <laughs> twisty and turny. And you find the magic store at the very very end of like almost like this weird kind of underground alleyway. Mm. So of course that's like my favorite place to go. And um you could buy like, you know, sleight of hand tricks and mm-hmm. cards and things like that. Mm-hmm. Well, they had a cabinet, like a locked cabinet. Now, of course, you know, me, maybe it's my uh Scorpio rising likes to <laughs> like, want to dig and I want to be where I don't have access to. So of course <laughs> I want to know what's in the cabinet, you know. And right. I there was a pack of uh tarot cards in there and the uh box had the wheel of fortune on it mm, okay. and it's like time stopped i looked into the into the window of the cabinet and i saw that wheel of fortune mm-hmm. and i was just like i don't know what that is but i have to have that like i just mm-hmm. i don't even think i knew what tarot cards were at the time i was like 16 years old mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i ended up getting those tarot cards that day and that was basically like without without really knowing it that that was like the thing that that started me like literally that wheel i suppose started mm. started the ball rolling if you will and uh right. and i was pretty um i was pretty into it on my own you know kind of like studying it on my own but it wasn't like i I didn't even conceive of the fact that it was something you could learn from, let's say like an actual teacher. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't really, uh, you know, I didn't really, I don't think consider myself in, I don't know that I even knew like the word occult or any, anything like that, but you know, I was really into um, like alternative 
religions. I also had like no religious upbringing whatsoever. So it was sort of fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and again, being sort of this, like, you know, punk rock mindset, I, I was definitely not here for any sort of, uh, like standard Christianity, but I was really interested in like Eastern, uh, Eastern religions. And so, uh, kind of, but those were all things, you know, again, I was totally looking into on my own. So, so flash forward, Mm -hmm. um, as I, as I got into my twenties, everything that I was doing was basically, you know, again, you know, I was sort of like past the, the grunge era of things. And I, I dropped out of college. I tried to go for an art degree and that, you know, I I was just like way more interested in partying. And (laughs) it was like, again, this idea of like, whatever I'm not allowed to do, that's what I want to do. You know, I, I I didn't have a lot of, my parents were super strict growing up. And so as soon as I could get away with anything, Mm -hmm. I was doing it. You know, I moved out of, (laughs) my folks house as early like I was 17 graduated high school and like moved out that like immediately Mm -hmm. Um, as soon as I could um, do whatever you know got my fake ID and was like (laughs) going as soon as I could try drugs tried it it, it, the first chance that I got I never said no you know yeah and I was just trying to basically kind of like claim my freedom I, I suppose which is funny like all of these things now I see how they tied into, of course, why I'm, I'm drawn now to magic, mm-hmm. the esoteric, like not drawn to it. It's like, I'm just totally living it. It's, it's mm-hmm. my whole, it's my work. It's my life. It's my playground. It's my school. It's my pastime. It's my hobby. You know, yeah. it's all of those things. So, um, So anyway, I, uh, at the time I still didn't have a teacher or anything like that. And, uh, and I just kind of, you know, enjoyed my playing with my tarot cards and I got really into DJing for a long time. Okay. Actually had like a 20 year DJ career. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I think another component of this, like I've been kind of trying to break down like all of the pieces that it took to like (laughs) get me uh because you'd sent me this question um like why what got me started and I'm like I think it's got to be there was like a few different angles yes Mm -hmm. it was timing and place Mm -hmm. it was the independent factor it was the contrarian you know I want to do what I want not what the general populace expects me to do Mm -hmm. and then the other the final component is when I especially when I was younger and I guess still had a real strong competitive streak Mm-hmm. And I think I get that from my folks. Mm. Like they have, they always kind of instilled that in, in me. Like my dad, as I said, he was a, he still is, he's a vacuum cleaner salesman. Mm. And um, you, that might not sound like a very like illustrious job, but he takes so much pride in it. And mm-hmm. like, he wants to be the best vacuum cleaner salesman you can be. You know what I mean? Right. He has pride and, in his uh, craft basically. Yeah. Totally. And Mm -hmm. I find that really admirable. And, um, and over time, I've been able to kind of uh, carve that competitive nature more into just drive and ambition, Mm -hmm. hopefully, and, you know, in a healthy way. 
But Mm -hmm. one thing I realized is like, one of the best ways to be great at something is just to do something no one else is doing. Mm. Because just by that nature, you know, you're setting your own standard with it, right? Like there's, there's no one else to kind of compare you against. Oh yeah, for sure. When I was DJing, of course I want to be the best, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or at least to the best of my abilities. So most people that were doing that at the time, they're playing house music Mm -hmm. um, or uh, trance or, or like jungle was really popular. Drum and bass was like getting Mm -hmm. really popular at that time. And Mm -hmm. I mean, first and foremost, like just being a girl at the time doing it already sort of set me apart Mm -hmm. from like what most people were doing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to play digital hardcore. Mm. Like, I'm going to choose the hardest, darkest, fastest, grimiest, grungiest <laughs> form of dance music, if you can even call it that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, and against everybody being like, that's crazy. Like, why would you do that? Why don't you play some nice, soft, ambient music that everybody's going to end <laughs> I was just like, fuck that, you know, like I want to do something that nobody else is doing. Right. And, um, and it worked. It like, mm-hmm. it gave me the opportunity to travel all over and, you know, never to have some kind of like big mega, you know, to break through, to have some great big following. But in the underground, mm-hmm. I had my, you know, my little following and I mm-hmm. had a decent amount of success with it. And mm-hmm. And I really think that like all of those themes just continued to roll over into like the next thing and the next thing that mm-hmm. I would really dedicate myself to. And um, and it wasn't until I was actually around 28 years old that I had pretty much at that point totally burned myself out, run myself into the ground. You know, I've been <laughs> partying hard. I was still partying <laughs> like a teenager and I was almost 30. And I was approaching my Saturn return. Right, right. And finally, and, it starts uh, having an impact on your body. When you're 20, you can take a lot. But when you're 28, <laughs> things change a lot, you know, physically. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. also, like, I'd gotten, it's almost like life had gotten a little bit too easy. You know, I didn't have to have a nine to five. I came and go as I pleased. Um, I didn't have anyone to answer to. I didn't have a boss. And uh, I was a total freaking mess. Mm. And it's so funny because like this thing I wanted my whole life, which was just to have my freedom and do whatever I wanted, basically led me to a total dead end where I was mm. going to kill myself if I if like some miracle didn't happen. And that miracle did happen in the form of my teachers coming into my life, my magical teachers, two of them. Mm, okay. So... I had basically gotten to sort of like a rock bottom place mm-hmm. and I was literal, it was a literal rock bottom. I was living on my friend's floor. Um, I was going through my Saturn return at this point. I was just ready to give up everything. I was going to sell all my possessions and like, just keep my records and buy an RV and travel around the country mm-hmm. being like a mobile DJ. Cause those are the kind of fantasies you have during your Saturn return. <laughs> And, right. um, and this amazing friend of mine, magical brother, um, he, he was being so gracious as to like, let me sleep on his floor while I figured out 
what the hell I was doing with my life. Right. And one night he said, you know what, I'm going to this thing. I've got these two friends of mine that I want you to meet and they're going to have a magical salon. And mm. I didn't even know. I was like, oh, so they're going to paint each other's nails and you know. <laughs> like a nail salon. Yeah. Right. Right. And, uh, and he's like, no, they're going to, he's like, you like tarot. You, and mind you, I had no understanding at this point of like ritual magic or even magic with a C or a K or like any of that. But it's funny that I bought my tarot cards at a magic store. Right. Mm, that is so you know I had my like concepts of spirituality and God and sort of like agnostic things and mm -hmm. he really had to like twist my arm I was like no I don't want to I want to just like stay home and smoke weed and I don't want to <laughs> go meet these people and he's like no seriously like come with me so he takes me over to these guys house basically uh -huh. at that time I think I was like oh after I go to the club like I'll come and you know, I basically like stumble up the stairs mm -hmm. after like leaving the bar and I go into this, this um, person's apartment and they have like an alchemy lab set up in their kitchen. Oh, wow. Which is like instantly like totally fascinating to me and just like floor to ceiling books all over, like all these cool old books. So I'm very like, wow, this is cool. Right. Was this in Seattle or where was this? This is in Seattle. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. And I meet these guys mm -hmm. and they're, you know, one of them is like, um, they're both older than me. One is like a couple decades older and, mm -hmm. um, and the, 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 he looks like a wizard, you know, he's got like the gray <laughs> beard and like the whole thing. And then the other one is like dressed like straight out of the like Victorian era, like, um, you know, like vest and just like um, tailoring. <laughs> Right. And I was just like, okay, this is cool. Like these could be my people. <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, to be honest, like, I don't remember that much about that first night. All I know is that what ended up happening out of that original first meeting, you know, this kind of gathering of people that were interested in apparently esoteric things, mm -hmm. which I didn't even know I had such an interest in really until mm -hmm. I found out that I did. Um, mm -hmm. that ended up turning into, um, over the course of the next few months, a serious magical working group. Oh, cool. So those two men, uh, took on, you know, they, people sort of filtered in and out for a little while of these like salon meetings mm -hmm. until it got pretty evident that there was five people that were actually really serious. And, right. um, you know, they introduced me to Kabbalah for the first mm -hmm. time. I'd never seen, at least that I had recalled the tree of life. I never understood that the tarot was connected to these other mystical concepts that it had anything to do with astrology. I'd never thought twice about Hebrew or, mm -hmm. or any of, or let alone ritual magic, like I said. Mm. Um, but they started, uh, they took us on uh, five students as, um, as our teachers and we just got so serious and so deep into it that before I knew it, we were, we had formed a, like a, a magical order, um, just the seven of us. And mm -hmm. we were performing golden dawn ritual, mm -hmm. some thelemic ritual as well. And uh, we met every single week and we mm -hmm. would, you know, get together in the evening and go late, late into the night, uh, and um, this this lasted for about three years. 
So I just became, I was so lucky to, to meet them at that time in my life when basically it was like, looking back, I can just see the, the fork that I was at. One just led to probably just like total, totally like bottom of the barrel degeneracy. And the other wow. one was like a path to something higher. So yeah. it totally saved my life. Like I credit all of them with saving my life. And mm. uh, I, I finally found something to be, to take all of those things that I was innately sort of, I guess you could say gifted with or, or accidentally were like things that I was into and like put it all into a container where mm -hmm. it actually had value. Right. Like the, the competition could become just having discipline, which of course is like one of the most important components of being a magician. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my interest in, in the unknown just, or in, you know, whatever's not easily accessible made it so that all I wanted to do was read and research and dive deeper and go like further and further back in source material. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's funny because like even the DJing factor and the sort of like that taught me about the understanding, believe it or not, of like energy and like working with energy. Because when you're DJing, you know, you have to like read the room and sort of feel um, when to sort of bring the vibe up and when to bring it down. And looking it's back, almost it's like, like a yeah, it's almost like a magical group working in itself. Right. Totally. It yeah. totally is. I mean, mm -hmm. you're literally working with a vibration and you're mm -hmm. and you're conjuring that. Exactly. So mm -hmm. looking back, I'm like, God, and you know, it it definitely lent itself to me eventually becoming a teacher where I felt comfortable being up in front of a group and, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like taking on a leadership role in that way. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's, you know, I probably just like ate up half the podcast talking about the very early beginnings, but hopefully some of your listeners can relate to, to some of that because, um, you know, some of it is just like accidents and some of it's desperation and, mm -hmm. and, and, um, some of it's just like trusting the process, honestly, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I think a lot of people can relate like growing up and not really feeling like, I don't want to go on this track of like, you know, I go to school and then I get this nine to five job and I believe in this religion that everyone else believes in, you know, they feel kind of like, like this is it, you know, sort of, this is yeah. sort of the socially conditioned, you know, I don't know what you would say, like mainstream society. They just don't, they feel sort of alienated and not like, there has to be more than just this. Right. And they feel sort of, like you said, like a rebel, like trying to explore other things and um, not really wanting to go down that beaten path, so to speak. Right. And so, um, totally. yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm also curious, you mentioned like you met these teachers and you guys had this magical group. Were there, and you did mention like the Golden Dawn and uh, Thelema and stuff like that. Were there, was it like a spe specific tradition you guys were drawing off of, or was it kind of syncretic? Like you guys would study um, different material, like Golden Dawn materials and different other kind of traditions? Well, this is a good question. And it's something mm -hmm. that, you know, kind of like plays out into what we're doing at 22 Teachings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, like going in, God, I just think like how lucky I was that I ended up getting 
you know, teachers that were really amazing. And in the end, you know, one sort of teaching me what to do and the other setting an example of what not to do. So I got right. kind of, you know, what one of each in that. Um, but my one teacher, uh, who to this day is still my mentor, and some of your listeners might be familiar with him, William Kiesel, who is mm-hmm. an amazing scholar. He owns Mar- uh, Mortlake and Company uh, bookstore and gallery up in Seattle. And oh, okay. um, he used to run the uh, esoteric book conference for many years up there, mm-hmm. international conference. And he is the publisher of Ouroboros Press. Mm-hmm. And they put out just absolutely amazing uh, source material, things often that have never been translated into English mm-hmm. and then publish them in really, really beautiful um, bookbinding, letterpress, um, artistic formats. Mm-hmm. So um, they just put out a, a, a volume of the Hermetica that's really, really amazing. But um, uh, both of my teachers had been trained in, you know, uh, definitely syncretic paths between some Thelemic uh, studies and, and Golden Dawn. And, uh, and then they also had, um, you know, William had a, a lot of background in theosophy as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my other teacher in a lot of Native American practices. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was not a it was not specifically like a you know maybe I shouldn't even be calling it an order it was a magical working group in those Mm -hmm. traditions but not adhering strictly to one or the other specifically largely influenced by um the golden dawn Mm -hmm. and uh and what I you know both of them having uh, being so literary, mm. one of the things that they did early on was just put like one after another, after another book in front of me. And those early books, it was Israel Regardi, Dion Fortune, Eliphas Levy, Paul Foster Case. Those were, you know, that's what I was Manly P. Hall. That's what I was diving into. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that kind of gives you an idea of, um, like what things were sort of centered in at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I started studying with the BOTA just to do a little supplemental work. They'd both gone through that, that training. And, and I felt like, Hey, if this is, you know, something else I can do to, to, um, to add on to what they're already teaching me. Mm-hmm. It, it was um, like, a, uh, that was like a correspondence course, right? Yeah. It's a correspondence course. You can mm-hmm. still, you know, that's still available. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, they, you know, they, we started with the LBRP, then they taught us middle pillar, then we learned the hexagram ritual. And um, we did, uh, and we did this work together, like I said, every week, um, there was other teachers that came in, um, Robert Bartlett, who is an amazing alchemist. Um, his books, Real Alchemy, mm-hmm. are absolutely um amazing those were those were coming out at the time that we were um that i was studying with him and learning how to make spagyrics uh so i just was really really fortunate to have just really amazing teachers and um 
you know, one of the things that uh, comes up around Golden Dawn magic mm-hmm. is the idea of, you know, this is this is just like a question I field from students constantly. Oh, okay. Which is like, you know, how do I know, like, what's a good order to join if I want to get involved? And mm-hmm. I kind of like, I, it's funny because it's funny because, but it's not funny, but because mm-hmm. I always had an aversion to the idea. Mm. I was like, okay, I love Golden Dawn magic, but I mean, I think it comes from, like I said, you know, I, I, I want to do what everyone else is not doing. I, I want right. to do uh, and so the the idea of joining an order, which has this hierarchical kind of um, step by step sort of progression through the grades and things like that, to me felt very restrictive and very mm-hmm. dogmatic and and mm-hmm. not the thing that I was looking for. And right. although, like power structures and stuff, yeah. Yeah, that. you know, it was like it felt like being a follower which right. is what I didn't want to do, which is why I liked the BOTA because it was correspondence course. I do it on my own and I just get the little envelope in the mail every two weeks. So I feel like I'm a part of something without being, you know, really like a part of something. Right. And, um, and if I'm perfectly honest, I think that like also part of it was like fear because mm-hmm. you know when you're reading a like a magic book and in the back sometimes it has that like if you want to contact the order write mm-hmm. to us at blah 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 mm-hmm. or you know a lot of this was like you know now you can of course like you can find stuff on the internet but half of what you see on the internet it's such a turnoff you know right. it's like we are the official order and if you think it's someone else you're and it's just like wow that's just a, instantly a turnoff to me that somebody is they're facing, yeah yeah or, or just trying to claim that they're legitimate someone else is not and mm. it's like who you know it's just not a good look really yeah. you know but then when and, and i i know i've heard people say that like the true orders do exist, but you won't find them online. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's true, you know, um, but I just have not, I I felt that I was able to progress through the work mm-hmm. in a legitimate way without the need of an order. And I, you know, I don't, and I don't want to, say that that wouldn't be right for a lot of people. I, I I definitely think that finding a good order can be a thing. Um, I just know for myself, it was never an urge that I had. And, uh, and I sort of see, and it's basically like, I mean, to be honest, a big part of why I've created the school is to provide the opportunity for people to study and not only study, but to practice and to do magic with a, with a working group. That's not a formal order, but is still very um, much a legitimate part of the tradition. Right, right, right. Um, At what what point I'm curious, because we kind of talked a lot about your background and um, going through all that. At what point did you feel like it's time to be a teacher now you know I'm always curious about that like at what point what was the inspiration or it's like at what what was the catalyst for that um okay so 
the catalyst for that was basically that I had to move to LA. Okay. And um, and at the time, you know, I'm still in in Seattle. Well, there's a couple other co- components that play in. One is that my magical group, which, like I said, we've been working together for years. We were building up to the point of doing pathworking, like formal pathworking on the tree of life, mm-hmm. and and my teachers kept um, guaranteeing me that or promising that this is where it was all leading to. Because you know, when you're studying magic and you're doing it, and you do get those like when you're doing it feels great, but then sometimes you're wondering like, what's the end goal here? Like, what? Where's this leading? You know, right. is it just like we continually do this, and so it was cool to have this thing to look forward to of like all of this that you're learning and studying and the correspondences and getting co- familiar with ritual is going to lead to this big working. We're going to do this, you know, we're going to do the 32 paths of the tree of life as these astral ceremonial rituals. And mm-hmm. so we're all just like gearing up for this. Mm-hmm. The week before we're supposed to start the path working, a giant rift happens in between my two teachers. Okay. And it, it was irreconcilable. So like you see in orders over and over again, like you see in magical groups, and I suppose like you see in all kinds of situ- you know, social situations. Mm-hmm. And I think even more so in a magical setting because there's so much energy behind things and right. because it's so intimate and you're creating that container mm-hmm. and sometimes a bomb goes off <laughs> yeah. and it did. And so it exploded and it broke the group apart. And there was no way to repair it. And there was no way to continue doing the work without having all seven of us involved. Right. So I was kind of like reeling at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I did continue practicing on my own and kind of trying to like piece things together. And Mm -hmm. mind you, I was still, I was still through all of this partying although Mm -hmm. I was balancing it a little bit more now that I had my my practice um but I started to realize that if I was going to not fall apart again like when I met like how I was when I met them I was gonna have to finally really really get my shit together Mm -hmm. because at this point now I'm in my 30s you know um, so I decided to become a poker dealer. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting transition. <laughs> well, wow. again, Kairos, Kaisen, Cronia, and there was right. underground poker games oh, going wow. on. And I was like, I like shuffling cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like playing poker. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that and I replaced one vice for another. And I thought, you know, maybe I can quit drinking if I start playing poker instead. Mm. And so I did that. And um, and then I uh, was still DJing and I had like a big DJ tour that year. This was like 20, 28, uh, 2008. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I went all over and I came down to L.A. And I'd always loved L.A. because it. You know, for me, I associated it with like being a little kid coming down here with for the summer, staying with my grandparents, swimming pools, palm trees, Disneyland, you know, like a vacation like, getaway or something. Yeah, totally. It was like this magical uh-huh. and like palm trees, especially like whenever I see a palm tree, 
even in Seattle, like I lived for years in this apartment that had a palm tree in the courtyard. And it was the sad, can you imagine like a palm (laughs) tree trying to survive in that climate, which is completely (laughs) overcast, gloomy and rainy all the time. It was like the saddest, most pathetic thing. But I thought it was like, I was like, I'm going to live there because of that. If I can look out my window every day and see that palm tree, like that will bring me joy. (laughs) It's like a beacon of hope or something. Totally. So I was, uh, I was on tour and we came to LA and I just, Mm. I had this revelation. It's like, I'm an adult now. If I love LA so much, why don't I live here? Like I could do that. I could like come home to my motherland, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, uh, so I went back to Seattle I saved money playing and dealing poker for a year. That that's a story for another time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and a year later, I moved to LA. Oh, nice. And uh, and at that time, I decided, you know, to get serious about finally, really getting like I realized I was an alcoholic and a drug addict. At that point, I like finally admitted it. Mm-hmm. And so I got into AA. Mm-hmm the exoteric version yeah not not crowley's aa but the uh <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was totally nuts to me because mm-hmm. here i am going like all right i'm gonna do that and uh and i get like the most hardcore sponsor i actually had a friend like help me find her i was like i want i want like uh the drill sergeant of sponsors i want someone who's <laughs> gonna kick my ass into shape you know right and um she totally was. She was like, we're going to do the steps and we're going to, I'm going to make you write everything out and read every word out loud to me and blah, blah, blah. So uh, she takes me through and we get to the third step prayer. Mm-hmm. And in the third step prayer, it says, um, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. Mm. And I was like, this is pure Kabbalah. Right. right. What am I reading? This is like liter. This is like word for word, the same of like all of the books that I study, all of the ritual that I do, thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. It's like the cobblest cross, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm going, this is like weird, right? I'm like, oh my God, AA is like a is like a secret, like hermetic group, which to this <laughs> day have, like, don't they have, have um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the history per se, but I did hear like they have some sort of esoteric influence and then also um i think they were using like i think originally they were dosing they were using like lsd to get people off of alcohol which now now that they're doing like clinical trials with like maps and you know different um like mainstream university actually doing trials on this and it's been proven that like psychedelics can help um transition people off of things like alcohol and other addictions absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i mean it's just so interesting like I always think like the things that the things that are our blessings and curses are the same things. It's, it's just all context. Exactly. You know? exactly. So of course you would use like you would use LSD to like assist you with like getting off. <laughs> it doesn't shock me at all, you know. Right. Um, and so what I realized in in that 
in that like moment of like finally getting sober and like reading that prayer was like it it something finally clicked for me about magic which was the whole concept of the divine will mm-hmm. and i was like you know i was always really the kind of person i think a lot of people are like this like i'd get really hung up on the details in magic like mm-hmm. you know where correspondences aren't the same and you know why is why does this you know this book says archangel michael rules tiferet and this one says mm-hmm. he rules hode and right you know like all of those sort of like finer details would always really i would always really struggle with that mm-hmm. and then it's like i find that you just have these moments where i don't know if you get the answer but it's like the question stops mattering <laughs> you know what i mean no that's a good explanation yeah i know what you mean yeah and and i felt like i always had this confusion with like the whole like the lemic thing of the do as thou will mm-hmm. like i i always also felt like you know why I, I I started to have an aversion towards all the thelemic stuff? Because again, it was like, no, that's too obvious. That's too popular. You know, everybody <laughs> is, so I'm going to like steer clear of it. You know, it was like, I have to go, I have to get like more obscure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> but that, that whole idea of like, do it thou will. And it like, it just, it didn't sit it didn't make sense to me. And like this concept of like, I turn my will over to the care of God. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, my entire life, I've been struggling for my freedom. My entire life, I was trying to be in control and run my own life. And I got that. And what good did it do me? It mm-hmm. Again, like it led me to like, totally be a mess. Mm-hmm. But when I stopped, when I once it's like I had to gain control over my life so I could finally give it away, but give mm-hmm. it away to something higher. Right. And right. that it's like at that moment, everything in my life changed. Mm-hmm. And I, I really quickly, I, you know, I, I came to LA with no plan mm-hmm. except for my only plan was I'm not going to do what I used to do. That was it. I was like, I don't know what I want, but I know what I don't want. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be a mess. I'm not going to be the like sloppy girl at the after, after, after hours, (laughs) Um, Uh you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to just like hustle like I always have been like quite a hustler and things and I just like had this faith I was a fool I was like I'm gonna make it work you know right and it was right. Like, three months later that I ended up getting this job at this place that um was hiring readers mm-hmm. and uh I was um I've told this story you know I I don't want to like spend too much time with it but but I'll just say that, you know, the way that I was taught by my teachers was that you can't be a reader for money. Um, oh, okay. So I, like, don't do magic for money, kind of. Um, yeah. So, I, so I started working at this place just as, as like a volunteer desk person. They were like, we can't, we're only hiring readers. And I was like, well, I can't do that. So instead, 
um, let me just like, but I just felt like I'm supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. It was like this metaphysical store is brand new. It's just opening. I was like, you guys need me. Like, Mm -hmm. this is my, this is my forte. I know all about it. I can like help you guys, like I'll order the books. I'll, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll tell you like what things you should stock in your store. I'll help you hire readers, like whatever Mm -hmm. you need. I've got it. And so I just started volunteering there. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then one day a woman came in and needed a reading and, uh, and they didn't have a reader on and they said, Naha, can you do it? And I said, you know, sure, this person needs me. I'm here. I'm not going to like tell her no. Right. Right. So I did that reading for that person and I felt, and it was like really great. You know, I felt really good about it and it did, and it set, it sat well in my mm-hmm. soul, except for the fact that I wasn't supposed to be. And, uh, and so after thinking about it more, I eventually asked both of my teachers, you know, pretty quickly after that, I said, Look, here's the here's a story, I have this opportunity to become a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what you told me, I know what the tradition is, I respect it. Uh-huh. But I'm asking for your permission, or at least like your thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they ended up telling, you know, they both went and like separately, because of course, like they don't talk anymore. So they both separately went off and like considered it. And they both came back to me and they gave me their blessing. Mm, And I had said before, like, if I don't get my blessing from both my teachers, I won't do it. Mm. Um, and William said something to me at the time. He's like, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's a quote from Dion Fortune. Mm-hmm. And she says, a tradition which does not evolve becomes a dead faith. Right. And right. Like, I, I mean, I have chills even just like saying that now because that almost became like one of the most important tenets, which would eventually become the school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, after that, everything just happened step by step. I became a tarot reader. And then I started teaching tarot. That was the first thing that I taught. I had three students. I had like a little three, three week um, tarot course. Oh, and cool. I taught so it. This is, oh, this is at that bookstore or the, uh, the reading yeah. center? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and it was uh, in this tradition of Hermetic Kabbalah. So teaching the correspondences of the tree of life, teaching the Hebrew letters, teaching, mm-hmm. you know, the way that I had learned it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and after that, I started doing the middle pillar as a, as a monthly ritual. This is back in 2010. Mm-hmm. And, um, and to this day, I have, I still do it. It's been 11 years and every single month I've led a middle pillar ritual mm-hmm. and, um, without fail. Mm-hmm. And that, that has been like, just like such a powerful, amazing pillar of if you will pun intended i suppose Um, (laughs) but what do pillars do they hold up the temple they they support the roof you know so Mm -hmm. um so that that became uh you know those were the first two things that i taught and uh and then it just expanded from there and it and um after about three years of teaching, just sort of do, doing it as like workshops and like one-off events. Uh-huh. Um, I had the idea that I had enough curriculum that it was time to start formulating this into a school. So that was around 2013. Mm. Okay. And that 
when the name 22 teachings became a thing and uh and i was still working at this other place but i had my own sort of little umbrella thing happening mm-hmm. and uh and so that continued and i kept sort of pushing like how like how kabbalistic can i get without losing my audience mm, okay mm-hmm. it was like i wanted to teach the you know the real deal and uh and i did teach lvrp but also in a way like to honor the tradition i didn't teach any other rituals um i didn't teach how to do middle pillar i led the middle pillar ritual i didn't teach how to do the hexagram ritual or anything like that um just like in the golden dawn the lvrp is the only ritual taught to the outer order of course like anyone can buy a book and learn all the rituals right but right my idea is not that Right. So, um, so after a while, I was like, I've got students, they've taken everything I have to offer. But I knew I was sitting on this whole, like, <laughs> all this other stuff I could teach them. If I felt right, if I felt um, that I even had the right to, to teach it. Right. Like you had the authority or the permission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The permission and the authority. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so what I decided to do was form um, like a group mm-hmm. of uh, like a private group, uh-huh. but they had to like students, um, they had to apply. They uh-huh. had to have taken everything else. It was mm-hmm. like, if you've taken everything and you're ready to dive deep, and they also had to commit to doing like a, like a six month training. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And it was closed, you know? And so with that, then I finally felt it wasn't so much me having the authority to teach it as mm-hmm. much as it was having students that had proved themselves dedicated enough to receive the teachings, you know? Mm. Yeah. Right. 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 Getting and people that are like, invested. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's totally like the idea. And I know this was like a, a question you had mentioned of like, mm-hmm. sort of like the thing that I like a trend that I maybe think is like problematic. Mm-hmm. in sort of like modern magic oh but, right yeah yeah a listener actually actually one of your students um yeah. who's a listener um wanted to ask you you know sort of your view on the modern like occult landscape and trends that you see sort of being maybe negative or positive and what have you totally mm-hmm. well one of those things i mean i've i've t- again like book me another two hours and we can talk about where i have a bone to pick but (laughs) um but one of the what ties in with that is the idea that um you can kind of buy your way through Mm. you know what i mean yeah yeah. i mean it kind of ties in a little bit with the some of the mindset about joining orders and Again, not to say that that can't be extremely valid, but you also run the risk of the egoic urge to rise through things maybe before you're ready to, or because sure. somebody else is is granting you an initiation. And William and I talk about this all the time. And you know, his perspective is that the only true initiation is the one that happens within it's not some like you can do an if someone can perform an initiation ceremony on you mm-hmm. but that's not you know someone can can pass on a spark to you as well but but a real initiation is is something that happens 
because of your merit, because you've earned mm. it. And it's, right. it is an inner interior aspect, you know? Right, right, right. So, yeah, well, so- yeah, definitely. There's, um, I always, I quote this a lot. It's uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, one of the first um, Tibetan lamas to come and teach in the West in America. And mm-hmm. he, he would always talk about spiritual materialism and the Western mindset trend of like acquiring things like I'm going to acquire the next teaching, then acquire the next practice, you know, it's sort of treating it with that same mindset that you treat, you know, whatever, getting a job or collecting new cars or what have you, right? Yeah, or I want the title, I want the certificate, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's been kind of like an interesting, um, yeah, spiritual material is, I mean, God, especially in a city like LA, which is like, the axis of spirituality and materialism, you know what I mean? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, it's something that I really just think that, um, is important for people to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, so all of that, you know, really kind of affected and continues to affect how I roll out my curriculum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and eventually, um, you know, I, I was very hesitant to offer any certification course. People always ask, oh, do when I take this course, do I get certified? Mm-hmm. And again, I was like, well, I'm not, you know what, I'd be, I'd be a rich lady if I just <laughs> gave out you know, it's crystal healing certification, tarot certification, like you name it. And right. I could totally do that. And if I was just an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, you know, sure. that's what everyone is asking for. Right, right, right. And in time I said, you know what, maybe um, I, the one class, the class I started with the tarot, which now has gone from a three, a three day course into a nine week plus course. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I do offer a, a certificate and in order to earn that certificate, you have to take prerequisites. There's a, a two day intensive before you do the course on magic, not and philosophy and like things that people think have nothing to do with tarot. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have to pass a test and you have to get 80% on it. And the test is not easy. And, you know, it's the only way for me to feel comfortable and saying, like, I want to know that you did the work and that you're serious. And then I'll put my stamp of approval, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's funny, too, because it's like I don't want to. I don't want to snuff out the fire of somebody who's really eager because there is that student who will go like, Oh, I'm so excited. I want to do the next thing and the next thing. And maybe they are kind of like, maybe there is that part of them that is like, yeah, I want to, I, maybe it isn't even a, like a physical materialism, but that mm-hmm. sense of like attainment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's something to be like considerate of, of like, how do I provide continual avenues for people but then not just give everything all at once in a way where you can just as I said kind of like pay your way through it right right and it's caused me to really really 
I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I do things. I don't know why I do them, but uh, in, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, it, you know, I've kind of pumped the brakes a little bit um, coming out of the pandemic with the amount that I'm teaching because I had so many students um, because everything opened up online and I had so many good students, I should say, have not had um, amazing students who are like, make it as esoteric as you want. Now how we're here for it. We want to study something specific. You know, the, the teachings have gotten very, um, the track has gotten narrower. Although mm. narrow is still infinitely wide, but you know what I mean? It's been, um, it's been more focused. Yeah. We're focused and the mm -hmm. students have been focused and, um, mm -hmm. you know, just to fill in the gap, it's been, uh, it was in 20, God, it's, it's hard to remember time sometimes 2019 that I, I finally went and opened up my own physical location. So for all of those years of kind of building the curriculum, we actually have a brick and mortar school now. Um, and yeah. then you know, less than a year after opening it, the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And then I went online, which I never would have done otherwise. And uh -huh. I had just this amazing influx of all of these students from all over the world mm -hmm. that are not only like, I'm not needing to trick them into, into being into this. <laughs> right, right, right. You, you don't need some uh, marketing or slogans or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Or try to be like, oh, we're going to, I'm going to teach you how to read the cards and be like, all right, sit down and learn Hebrew. You know what I mean? Right. It's, like, <laughs> right. it's always been like, I hope that I can get people, you know, living like, give it a chance. Like if you, if you're a serious student, like you'll, you'll, you'll get into it. But now people, they, they have more awareness. They know about it and they want it. And so they're, they're coming into it with that. But I, but I do think that, um, you know, uh, I try to just really, the, the whole school, I try to lead by example and, and build things on, um, like I said, you know, the, the proof is in the work and the dedication of the student. And I require many more prerequisites now. In fact, we have, William is teaching for us and he just did an amazing course on uh, the Rosicrucian manifestos. And oh yeah, the uh, Orobo Press put out um, those not so long ago too, right? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he had published that and then I was like, God, you know, he's always asking me, what, what do I want him to teach? And, um, and, uh, and that's what, you know, I had remembered him teaching me about that years ago. I said, I would love it if you would, present the Rosicrucian teachings and philosophy and and take us through that and he did an amazing course which is available now as the recordings but we put a ton of prerequisites on it we said you have to have taken um both of my hermetic kabbalah courses and mm -hmm. it's in those courses that you learn the hexagram ritual and we do you know we spend two and a half hours going over the analysis of the keyword and you mm -hmm. learn the rose cross ritual and we walk all through the rose cross lawman and Mm -hmm. You know, my students know I like to go like all split hairs about all of it. You know, I, I don't take anything at face value. I, I, I dig to find the oldest source material and to know why I'm doing what I'm doing when it comes to magic, you know, whether it's why do I say this word? Why is this correspondence what it is? Mm -hmm. um, I want to 
to the best that I can make sense of things. And then things that I can't make sense of, I've found that in time, those things, like I said, either it all kind of gets revealed in almost one sort of mega like information dump kind of download. Sure. Which Mm -hmm. answers the paradoxes and then also kind of makes the question not matter anymore. Right, right, right. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, people, um, I mean, like I said earlier in the podcast, uh, people are very, very much a rave about your courses and just the quality of teaching. And just from hearing you explain, it sounds very uh, developed and very detailed. And um, because, I mean, anybody can go into a bookstore and get, you know, the Llewellyn new book that has the same two rituals in the, you know, <laughs> you know like, there's probably like 500 books published every year with like the LBRP and like yeah. the same sort of rehashed, recycled um, explanation, you know, and it's not yeah. really, yeah, but it sounds like you're going into a lot of details and the curriculum, it almost sounds like an intensive university, like prerequisites and like you, have, you actually have to like show that you're doing it, not like, um, not necessarily like you're just using it as some sort of in- information entertainment or something like that, right? Right. I mean, that's that's the uh, that's the format of everything, and I and I I know we, the the formal school has only been existent for the last couple of years, but like I said, the curriculum began all the way back in 2010, and uh, and with the building of the school, my aim is to really make this into a, a, a well-respected, uh, a well-respected school and, uh, you know, a research institution and kind of in the, you know, in the shadow of the Philosophical Research Society and the work that Manly P. Hall did, which is right up the street from me, actually. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, and the BOTA is headquartered here. There's um, all of these really amazing uh, lineages that have have come here the you know I go to the Theosophical Lodge to hear Dr. Holler speak from the Gnostic Society so all of these and that's you know that's the spiritual side of the spiritual materialism of LA and and <laughs> I just I feel you know really kind of on hallowed ground with with all of that that's mm-hmm. that's preceded us here and um and you know definitely the work of case has been a huge inspiration mm-hmm. not only in the school but also in the lodge um which is the the magical working group of the school so there's the curriculum uh-huh. and the and the you know the the students that can track their own path through the work we have three three kind of um three different paths through the curriculum but mm-hmm. But it's kind of, you know, the teachings are circular. You jump in where you jump in and mm-hmm. and and make your way through it like that. And then the lodge is uh is our weekly convergence to actually practice and do the work. So Right. I'm actually quite curious in talking about your um lodge because you know there are, you know, other schools that provide online magic courses and there, there are things like the AA, which is sort of like a one-on-one thing. You have like a mentor, right? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the lodge, you know, there's not not so many like physical lodges, I feel like these days. So maybe you can share a little bit like what was the inspiration behind making that? And 
Um, are the same sort of like courses or group studies that you guys do at the lodge? Is that also the same thing you're offering online or is there a difference there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, do people like attend the meetings online too? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right now. I mean, during the pandemic we were having, we were having like an average of about 50 people a week, which mm -hmm. is amazing. Cause before that, when we were in person, you know, once in a while we'd hit that number, but we'd usually have closer to 20. Mm -hmm. um, now we're actually doing a hybrid. So we're in person and online and that's awesome. recently started with the lodge. So remember I was telling you about um, how I used to have a group that was sort of like invitation only. If you'd taken all my other classes, mm -hmm. then you could get like the inner teachings. Right. Right. So eventually that, you know, that six month course also that was over. Mm -hmm. And um and it was around the time, and I, I actually ran that series a few times. And the second time I tried to do what the AA did, and I, and I, I assigned um, students who had been through the curriculum the first time with the ones that were the newbies so that they would each have a mentor. Uh -huh. But um, I said, you know, and it, it like sort of worked and it sort of didn't. And it was more of a, it was more of kind of like a trial and error thing. Mm -hmm. But I ran into problems with that because as soon as you're making things like invitation only, the, inevitably it's like feelings get hurt. And, um, you know, that's another thing that's been important to try to navigate. And it is an issue that comes up. I mean, like I said, don't even get me started on trends in the spiritual community or magical <laughs> community. But, uh -huh. You know, the, I... I've always been an avoider of trends. So a right. lot of it, you know, I just try to stay out of. But mm -hmm. as soon as you're getting into the idea of, um, of you know, like what people can and can't, you know, who is or isn't involved or has the right or doesn't. Um, like I said, if it's not that they have, have gotten it due to their merit, but for whatever reason. Sure. And so, and so out of out of that, I said, you know what? Um, now I need a new thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know, honestly, I can't even say that I, it was my idea because going back to that concept of that third step prayer, mm -hmm. which, you know, and, and just the, like the turning my will over, I like, mm -hmm. basically you're saying, God, make me an instrument and, and let me do thy will. Mm -hmm. And this was in 2017 that the mm -hmm. message became really clear. Um, you're going to make a lodge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say that it's like around that time, mm -hmm. we, you know, as I said, I did the middle pillar every month and some pretty fantastic things were happening in those rituals. Mm -hmm. We do it in, in the evening. It's all done by candlelight. And, and I was having some pretty amazing phenomenon happen. Um, and some, what I consider legitimate interplane contacts that mm. were happening as a result of that. And now that I'm thinking about it, you know, maybe something about doing it, the seven year mark might've contributed to that, but mm -hmm. it was all, you know, all of these things kind of came together. I started really getting the message. Um, like my, I felt that my work was just totally being directed by something beyond me. Sure. And sure. I got the message, make a lodge. And you know what my response is? <laughs> are, you, are you freaking crazy? No, thanks. <laughs> I was like, I would never be so bold or 
or, you know, I might have a lot of drive, but mm -hmm. I would never be like so full of myself as to think that I had the capacity to make a lodge. Mm -hmm. And I was very quickly assured by my guides that I didn't have a choice, <laughs> that this was the next step in my magical studies and career. And, uh, mm -hmm. and they, and it was basically like, just do it, you know, just do it and don't worry like we'll tell you what to do mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it just i just started it and uh of course like with assistance from my mentor you know and um and then i had all these students that had been really studying in depth and mm -hmm. so they were grounded in the western mysteries they knew the work they knew the rituals and mm -hmm. we just kind of like jumped in and we started going week by week. We started with the uh, with the major arcana and mm -hmm. presenting one of those every week and then doing a ritual working around the associated letter and the key. And, mm -hmm. and I have to say, I was really largely inspired by the temple work at BOTA as well. Um, mm, okay. You know, they have a, a Sunday service. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, you know, I call it the wizard church. Is that uh, Poke Runyon's, um, uh, the one no, he's involved with? It's not Poke. I, I want to say, is he down in New Mexico or something like that? Uh, I'm not so sure, to be honest. Yeah. yeah I'm not sure either. I love that guy too, though, by the way. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, no, BOTA, that's Paul Foster Case's organization. And it's. Oh, BOTA. I'm sorry. BOTA. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so you walk into the temple and you imagine like I'd been taking the correspondence courses for years mm -hmm. or ever, you know, and so I was so excited, like, oh, I can go to the actual place. And you walk in and it's, the structure is very much like a church and the service mm -hmm. is very much like a church service. Mm -hmm. But instead of a crucifix uh, with, you know, a crucified Jesus on it, there's a giant tree of life. And then you've got all the tarot keys up on the you know, go kind of like around on the ceiling and the checkerboard floor and the black and white pillars. And, mm -hmm. and I was just like in heaven, you know, I <laughs> like this is awesome. But I yeah. also in time, you know, and I went for, for a long time when I first moved here, but um, it, things kept changing. Like the person that was leading it, they, you know, they had a, a really wonderful woman when I first went there and then she had left and they, they didn't really have someone step into her shoes. So I don't know at this point, like who's there kind of like running things. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, my other thing in, in throughout my life has always kind of been if if I want something and it doesn't exist, like all or it doesn't exist in the way that I'm enjoying it, I'll make it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. The onus, on, the onus is on you to sort of bring in your vision or your... Um what you want in the world right like no one else is going to do it it's got to be you right who else yeah. is going to do it yeah totally so i was like you know if i if i was going to do this i would do it there's some things i would do differently and mm -hmm. um you know some things um later i found out mm -hmm. uh, a lot was changed after case died and and passed the order over um you know to his successor and davies and mm -hmm. From my understanding, a lot of the more occult practices were removed. Right. It's my understanding. I'm not sure, but I think that a couple of people told me, I think it was when I was talking with Lon, maybe um, 
that Paul Foster case, didn't they remove Enochian magic like fully from the uh, from their curriculum and all of the correspondences? Yeah, that and that was dirt, you know, that was by um, Case had already done that. He was under the impression that it was really, really a dangerous practice. Right, um, right, right. And, mm -hmm. uh, but but after his passing from the actual weekly service, things got even more, I guess, tame and church-like, really. You mm -hmm. know, there's no LBRP. There's, to me, it still seemed really Kabbalistic, but then other people I know that have more of a Christian background say, oh no, it's super Christian. And Case was, he was very much a, myst a mystical Christian, you know, mm -hmm. um, where that's not necessary. Like I, 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 I often say I'm like the most religious person without a religion. You know, I consider <laughs> myself a hermetic Kabbalist, but mm -hmm. I, as far as um, religious practices go, I find myself much more attuned with, I guess, with Judaism really than with Christianity. And mm -hmm. that's been kind of an exciting part of my personal studies over the last couple of years. And I, you know, I have a really amazing Hebrew teacher that I've been working with um, who mm -hmm. I've brought now to teach at the school so that we can have greater accuracy in, in the language and in the vibrations. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but I, I saw what was going on there and I said, you know what? And I, I went to some Golden Dawn meetings in LA as well. And as much as I love the Golden Dawn, I was pretty alarmed by what I <laughs> experienced there. And, okay. and I said, you know, uh, uh, I kind of got an idea of kind of how to do this and my guides are telling me do it. So I did. And, mm. um, and now it's we're in our fifth year, and that's like I said, our our weekly meeting, and it's come as you are, and now it's online too. And um, as far as what we do there, it's really it's all structured as a primarily practice, but then mm -hmm. with the theory sort of in the center of it. But even the teachings are mm -hmm. they're they're melded with the with the ritual. So if there is a topic. And uh, it's great, you know, like the wonderful thing about being a teacher is whatever it is that you want to learn more, that gives you like a new topic to research, you know? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there was a lot of times in the lodge where I would just feel like, wow, you know, this is something that I've kind of sort of understand or read about, but I haven't really like put it fully into a, like I haven't, I haven't done a, um, like a practice with it to fully incorporate it, which is another, you know, that's called being an armchair occultist, right? right, right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I would take a, a, a particular topic, whether it be like a, a figure in, um, in just magical history, whether it be like a, like a deity or an actual historical figure, Mm -hmm. um, different series we've gone through. We did the Sefer Yetzirah chapter by chapter. We did Kabbalion chapter by chapter. We did mystical Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. And for each chapter, we then do a magical working inspired by that chapter as a way to have that interior initiation and kind of tap into and integrate the teachings on a much deeper level than just reading alone would provide.
Sure, sure. I'm sure this is a question that a lot of people ask you, but in your experience, what do you think is like a good balance between, you know, doing studies? There's people, like you said, armchair uh, occultists who they know all the details and history, but they don't actually, you know, internal, you know, practice or um, have direct experience of these things by actually doing them, right? And then on the other hand, maybe some people kind of skip the books and just go straight with like direct experience. Do you think there's like a good um, balance point there? Or do you think it's sort of a, you know, individual by individual basis? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I think that the, if I had to say for myself, I mm. think it's, it's like the twin serpents of the caduceus. They work mm. together. They're inseparable. That's, it's exactly 50, 50 and, and, uh, you know, one, one sort of um, flows into the other one naturally, but I'm sure it's, you know, it's different for different people. There's been, you know, I think there's, there's value in being um, really in deep in your studies. And of course, there's been times in my life when I wasn't practicing as much as I was researching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, either way you go off in an extreme and it's a disservice. And, sure. and I think that um, there's so much value in just being extremely intuitive in, especially in your magical work. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people come into magic in that way. And a lot of people are doing magic without knowing it, or, you know, sure. maybe they, they get into things through more like um, tangible methods you know, they burn sage in their house, they maybe light a candle, they do a new moon ritual, they do things with not necessarily in some kind of formal, um, they're not, you know, um, scrying on the magical square of Yasod, but mm -hmm. they might be doing something that's actually extremely effective in a lunar working. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't think you can disregard the you know, the intuitive side of things, but for myself, um, you know, the, I, I have to have, I have to have the, the science part of it. I think, you know, this, the full name of the school, 22 teachings school of hermetic science and magical arts. Mm -hmm. And I do think of the science and the art, they're sort of like the spheres of Netzach and Hode on the tree. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, it's, it's those two sides, like you're saying, studying and research and diving in, but then there's also so much that you learn from the actual, the, the practices. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think that, I think there's value in both. And I think it sometimes I, I think often it's like the more I learn, the less I know. Right. <laughs> Right, like, right, right. You know, as I said, the path is narrow and it's in, it's eternal, it's infinitely wide. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the destination is 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 the same as the original source. So no matter how far you climb the ladder, like you, do you ever actually move in space or is space just moving around you? And mm -hmm. <laughs> right, it's an in endless, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I notice a lot of people though they are. Um, I guess the fact that there's so many books out like every month, and there's always mm -hmm. you know either new books or sort of um, like research done on old uh, source materials or grimoires. And 
I feel like I've seen, at least now, I've heard, you know, 20, 30 years ago in the occult, it wasn't like this. But nowadays, mm -hmm. I see more people reading more, but like scared to do the practice. Like it's, they feel like they're not ready yet, or um, they're like intimidated, where I think that, you know, a healthy approach is to sort of have more of a balance between studying and actually getting experience. And I, I, in my experience, you're going to know when it's like overwhelming, or right? it's not, it's not, it's going to be, there's going to be a clear um, uh, experience or sign that, oh, maybe I need to kind of go back to more fundamental things or, you know, work on the more basics. Right. And so, I don't know, I've seen, I've seen people have a little bit more fear towards, you know, maybe they're doing the LBRP for like five years and never really trying anything outside of that or something like that. So yeah, I don't know. That's what I've seen at least. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, the opportunities are not necessarily, they can definitely be intimidating, you mm -hmm. know, and you think, like I said, thinking about a group and, or, or when I have dabbled and looked for, for groups to join in the mm -hmm. past and they say like, write a letter and, and tell us why, like, mm -hmm. that scares the shit out of me. You know, <laughs> at least it did uh, at the time. I was like, oh my God, you, you feel like a total imposter, right? Like, what mm -hmm. do I know? What am I supposed to say? I mean, I don't know. That's how I, that's the intimidation that I always felt. But mm -hmm. one of the things that's been really valuable for me and to put out I mean my school would be nothing if it was not for the quality of the students that are there which like I said have been so amazing and so um in a large part like really dedicated and not there to be cool or to prove anything to anyone but because they're just really sincere seekers of the mysteries and if and if it's worth anything at all, you know, I've I've had the experience of other teachers coming to the school, uh, guest teachers that have come mm -hmm. and taught, whether in person or online. And they've said to me, like, your students are so amazing. Like, mm -hmm. they're such an amazing group. And mm -hmm. you know, I pride myself on their diversity mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just the the lack of attitudes and, mm -hmm. and you know a lot of it is like I think for myself I have like really pretty strong boundaries mm -hmm. um and so that has gone a long way to be in turn sort of help to protect the 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 students mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and and my attitude of it being you know, designed like, a, like you said, like a university, like an academy. Right. It, right. It, there is some, some sense of like, okay, like that's something I understand. This isn't, it's not a coven, you know, it's, it's um, the lodge is not an order. It's, mm -hmm. it's simply um, an open format convergence. Mm -hmm. Anybody can, can attend, you know, Okay, so um, not, you wouldn't say like it's a closed system order. It's not like strictly Golden Dawn, strictly this. It's more of an open source sort of syncretic uh, magical order or magical study group, I guess you would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I consider it a magical working order that's evolving the tradition, largely stemming from the Golden Dawn, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but also looking to rectify some things looking to you know largely 
formulating a magical system of our own. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is stuff that's just come through to me through my continued work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I also have a private practice where I read tarot still to this day and I do middle pillar healing um, mm-hmm. with people on the table, like in a clinical setting. Mm-hmm. And that um, has been uh, totally the source of so much of the actual training that I've gotten is like what's come through from doing those one-on-one workings. Mm -hmm. And I've received a lot of the instruction actually and like how to do the lodge. And there are some, there's areas where we deviate from other orders Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, or from orders in general. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, and I feel like I, you know, it's hard to say like in any, in any sense of, of like specific percentages, but I would, I would definitely say that at least 25% of what we're doing is unique to our school. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, yet I, you know, call me crazy, um, but I do believe that we are a contacted group. Like I said, I, I have faith in the fact that the guides that I connect with that keep pushing me forward to do the next thing and the next thing that they are, that, you know, obviously operating beyond time and space but it's the fact that I even have the school itself it's a miracle like I said when I when I was instructed to do the lodge I would never have thought it possible and to build the actual school are you kidding me right so so one little final uh like key point I think in all of this is so that path working that I always wanted to do right Mm -hmm. When I got to LA and I started working as a professional wizard, um, that was one thing I was like, okay, now I'm tapped into this. I was tapped into a magical community. Sure, they weren't hermetic Kabbalists. You know, this person, they're a witch. This person's a Reiki master. This person is into the Celtic tradition. You know, it was very, this person does Santeria. It was a very diverse cast. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I said, I, I got to do that path working. That's some unfinished business in my own mm-hmm. magical um, career, right? Mm-hmm. Little did I know. So, you know, I kept trying to find somebody to do it with me because I, I was like, you can't do path working on your own. So you got to, somebody's got to read it. The other person's got to, I, I kind of imagined maybe if I just had one other person, that would be enough. Mm-hmm. And uh and so I struggled with that for years because I'd find someone and then they'd fall through. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's when, like I said, I looked to a golden dawn order because I thought like, maybe that's the only way it's going to happen. Well, no, that was weird and cult-like. And mm-hmm. um, so after the lot, after, you know, having the lodge for a few years, finally I was ready and we did a pathworking series. It took us a year and a half mm-hmm. and we did, not just 32, we actually did 33 because we ended up doing dots along the way there too. But mm. we did that um, completely just like so powerful. At the time, it was 
the most profound magical working I'd ever done, you know, to do the complete astral projections through every path. And we had this core group, maybe it was like a dozen people that were there every time we did two a month. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I really believe that the school was born out of the path working was during the, the time that we were doing the path working that the actual brick and mortar physical school came into existence. Mm -hmm. So I think that these things are tangible results of, you know, me being dedicated to the practice. Mm. And I, I'm actually planning after doing the path working, I was just like, that changed my life. I It's going to be probably decades before I'll be ready to do that again. Mm -hmm. And um, and now with all these new students, people are hungry to do it. And I'm actually getting really excited. And I and I've been telling them I am going to be offering the path working again. And oh, nice. Nice. So via your um, via your website. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I imagine we're going to do it hybrid, like how we're doing the lodge, mm -hmm. um, because you don't, you know, I never would have done online classes. Mm -hmm. I'm so I'm I'm so anti technology in so many ways. Well, I was, I should say, <laughs> but my my mind has changed a lot about that, and. You know, I still think that there's nothing like the in-person experience. It, it, there really is. And especially being back now a little bit, mm -hmm. um, like I said, having the lodge and being able to hear everybody's voices and toning together. So powerful. Mm -hmm. But the work has been powerful in a different way. And sure. and being able to reach so many people and a lot of people who are like, there's nothing like this where I live. So I would have never had the chance right expands the reach quite a bit you know i mean people like you said if people can um kind of join in these meetings through uh like live streaming you know of the lodge meetings then instead of just the la greater area you have people in europe and asia and all over the world who like you said wouldn't be able to join but are sort of hungry for this experience right and how cool would it be if someday those people establish an, an AM Lodge Arboretum Mysticum in their nook of the world, you know, I mean, right. I, that's, that's the greater, that's the greater vision. Uh, so the guides tell me, you know, <laughs> well, what would you say, um, talking about like greater vision, what do you see the vision of this lodge or this school being like, is it to connect with divinity? So is it to know yourself? What do you, what do you see the overall, um, like path being I mean you named you just said it mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for me to try to put anything else on it that already encompasses everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it's it's an opportunity for all of us to to work upon ourselves and heal ourselves and and contact that and um and just be doing it you know, be doing the great work and, and have the support of a group to do it with. Mm. And, uh, and beyond that, I mean, that that's the point of all of the, all of the practice really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. Well, you did mention um, you will uh, eventually release a um, path working course or be doing that live somehow, but other than that, are there any other like projects coming up or new courses out that you want to mention that the uh, listeners might want to check out? 
There's so many. If you can <laughs> imagine how many things I've got in the pipeline. And like uh -huh. I said, I, I did kind of pump the brakes on releasing some of the new stuff because I put so much out this last year mm -hmm. that I want to give everybody that's been doing the work a little time to just really absorb it all and be in that practice. But I have plan upcoming plans for a whole bunch of magic modules to do um, an elemental magic course. A talismanic magic course, a planetary magic course. Those are all, um, those are all going to be rolling out. Um, mm -hmm. I'm taking a group of students to Egypt in December of 2022. So that's oh, wow. Are going to be our first big um, uh, field trip together overseas. Mm -hmm. So that's that's coming up and exciting. Mm -hmm. And the tarot course is starting again soon. I mean, that's the that really was the the first thing that I that I ever did and probably the the teachings I'm the most passionate about so I'm going to be teaching the tarot certification course starting next this next month October perfect perfect time to to start uh diving mm. into that you know and um and other are the courses that, um I'm curious are the courses are these like because you're mentioning you're starting in October so do you constantly mm -hmm. do like live um, updated streams or is it sort of like recorded modules that anybody can kind of jump in anytime? It's both. Okay. So there's a whole library of stuff that we recorded over this last year. Mm -hmm. And it depends like some of those things, if you know, like the ritual trainings, for instance, mm -hmm. um, learning the solar adorations, learning LBRP, those, those are transmissions that, um, can be super affected by just doing them as a recording where some things it, it might be, um, you know, it's nice to do it, to do it live and have uh, sort of, especially things where current events come into play, like the tarot or the astrology course. Mm -hmm. Those are two, which, you know, we continue to run them a few times a year. We have an amazing faculty. It's not just me. We've got our astrologer, A.M. Penn, who's absolutely amazing. We've got uh, Vanessa Baltadano, who's about to teach an ancestors course. That mm -hmm. one's going to be new and um, coming up also in October. And then we've got, of course, like I said, William um, and a lot of his, you know, his, he has master level Mm -hmm. uh, classes and there's a lot of it's available. The Rosicrucian courses is, is available. He has al um, alchemical classes. Mm -hmm. So it's a mix. You can jump in and, and get the recorded stuff or you can see what the upcoming live slash online things are. But yeah, we just continue to, to um, put out new things all the time. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, <laughs> In general, where can people find you? Maybe you can mention the site or there are there like social media places that people can find you? Sure. Uh, yeah, 22teachings.com is the hub for everything. And it is a labyrinth of a website. I mean, if you if you can go on there, to tr do it on your computer because the menu itself is so dense. And there's it's so funny when I have students who are like, wow, I've been... I've been on here for six months and I never even found that you have this whole section on <laughs> like whatever it might be. So right. 
people have definitely uh, told me that the website, you know, it's it's really hard to navigate and um, and it's very unclear how to even like find things. And I and I say, you know what? Um, welcome to the mysteries. <laughs> hey, welcome, <laughs> welcome to yeah, the real world. Yeah, you better get used to it. If you think that you're gonna, if you think that you're you're gonna find a nice, clean, easy way to. Uh, figure this out like if you can't if you can't navigate to your first class maybe you're not ready you know <laughs> it's a it's a screening mechanism seeing if yeah, you're serious totally. or not hey. <laughs> are you all in or one foot in one foot out <laughs> totally you gotta you gotta sweat for it a little bit so you know i i do hope to make it a little more functional in the near future mm-hmm. um but that's a that's the best place to start. And like I said, if you can spend a little time poking around, there's tons of free classes on there. There's lodges that you can download for free. The whole Kabbalion series, mm-hmm. the Sefer series, that's all posted on there for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those are those that were a little while ago, but some of the more recent stuff is there. And then uh, the in the lodge as still online, it's pay what you wish. So there's no there's no excuse to not come, at least financially. Mm-hmm. Um, the the lodge know, is a, uh, it's like a live stream every week people can attend. Yeah, it's every Saturday. And it's just kind of like, you just jump in. People will say like, oh, I don't want to jump in in the middle of the series. But think about it's kind of like when you go to church, you know, you can't, you can't wait for like the day that they're like in the beginning, you know, you got this <laughs> start going wherever it might be. And everybody's there. Everybody's a newcomer at some point. So sure. it definitely is, it feels a little safer. I think even when you're in the comfort of your own home. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that we ask is that people that attend that they show up to participate and not just be observers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then um, other than that, you know, social media, Naha 99 is my is my regular account and then 22 teachings is we're on there too and those are the main spots that you can find things okay and then the uh live uh lodge meetings you mentioned they have like ritual components and also lectures or is it a kind of a combination of both yeah it's a combination it starts with ritual and then there's usually a little teaching in the middle on whatever the topic is and then it goes into um into an interior temple meditation at the end where we integrate those teachings. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a new series actually that's coming up. Um, We, it will be starting before the end of the year, hopefully sooner uh, Mm -hmm. than later. I'm deep, deep in the, in the uh, research archives now in preparation for that. And I don't want to say exactly what that's going to be, but I will say it's going to last for 72 weeks. So oh, wow. if anybody's interested in, in doing um, a very powerful and profound magical working, mm-hmm. you know, get, get you ready to go to Egypt with me at the end of next year, like I said. So, yeah, it sounds like a great, uh, great opportunity. I, think covered, <laughs> um, I mean, I've always wanted to go to Egypt, but I'm sure, especially people that are taking your courses, I mean, the people that are raving about it so much, it sounds like such a, such a cool chance, you know, and plus with the world, actually, hopefully it'll be open then, right? You never know. You never know. We cannot yeah. not really predict the future these days, but hopefully yeah, it'll be we're, good to go, right? We're, we're holding, we're, we're holding that as the vision. So hopefully everything right. will be able to get locked in here soon. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Um, is there any, you know, final parting words or any other things that you uh, want to mention before we wrap up? Oh, God. I mean, just that I'm so grateful for the opportunity to ramble on about all of this stuff. And, um, you know, uh, like I like I had told you before we started, I've I've I used to do a lot of podcasts back in the day and I, I felt like I was kind of telling the same stories over and over again. So I, I hope that I was able to dig a little bit deeper, but, mm. you know, I, I guess I wanted to, to leave with a, a quote from um, Tahir Shah. Do you know, have you ever heard of him? Sounds he familiar, comes, but I'm not so yeah, sure. Yeah. Look, look him up. T-A-H-I-R-S-H-A-H. He's a, really amazing author and mystic comes from a family of of storytellers and mm-hmm. who's in Morocco I, I believe I could be mistaken but um you know he was giving a, a lecture that I was watching and and he said you when you're on the path and you're looking forward all you see is you see random dots it's not till you're looking back that you can actually see how those dots connect and you know, I, I just think of that so much. It's so true in, 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 um, you know, the undertaking of a magical practice to just see, you know, it can get, can be like, there's so much, it's so vast. And then to look back and to recognize not only how things tie together, but how every single aspect of your life, you know, the good, the bad, all of the challenges, especially how those all ended up being so important to lead you to where you're at. So mm, yeah. um, it's a good perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. All right. Great. Um, well, yeah, thanks for coming on. I think this has been a really good chat and uh, hopefully some people will, uh, you have some newcomers to your websites and lodge meetings and classes. So that'd be cool. Amazing. Well, it's been my pleasure. So thanks for letting me be here. Oh, for sure. Okay. Until next time.